everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I may have mentioned, I'm Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. It was my birthday yesterday, which means that today we have some leftover pie and I got to have pie for breakfast. It's a favorite breakfast of mine for obvious reasons. And also it always reminds me of something that my grandmother used to say. She grew up on a farm in New Hampshire, or as she would put it, a a farm in New Hampshire. And she was fond of saying, if you ask someone from down south what a Yankee is, they'll tell you it's someone from up north. If you ask someone from up north what a Yankee is, they'll tell you it's someone from New England. If you ask someone from New England what a Yankee is, they'll tell you it's someone from New Hampshire. And if you ask someone from New Hampshire what a Yankee is, they'll tell you it's someone who eats pie for breakfast. I always loved that saying. And then later I did find out that it was cribbed from an E.B. White quote. He was from Vermont, so probably it wasn't the New Hampshire part. But another one of her favorite expressions, which is a favorite of mine, is if there's enough blue in the sky to make a Dutchman a pair of trousers, it's going to be a beautiful day out. And I always loved that, and I never knew what it meant. I don't know whether the Dutch were famed for having large or small trousers at the time when this phrase was coined, but I love that saying. Anyway, I'm having a pretty good day because I'm thinking about my grandma, who is amazing and probably the kindest person I ever met. And also, I got to have pie for breakfast. And also, I just had a birthday, which brings me a year closer to it being acceptable for me to get away with plagiarism and gibberish. So, all around, good things. Speaking of good things, got a little bit of housekeeping to get out of the way before we get into today's issue. So, first of all, uh, I believe a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that friend of the show, Rick Heineken, was starting his own podcast about Power Pack. I've had a couple of people ask me about it, and I wanted to let you guys know Good news, the first episode is up. It is called Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, and you guys should check it out, because it's good. Also, I wanted to let you guys know that I recorded a special episode of Tighten Up the Defense that is just for Patreon donors, and it was really fun to do. My niece and nephew, Molly and Jacob, who are twins who just turned 11, were up visiting, and we watched an episode of the Teen Titans cartoon from... 2003, the first episode of the show, and I got to ask them some questions about it. So if you'd like to listen to that, it is on the Patreon page, and if you would like to become a donor on Patreon so that you can listen to it, I'd recommend that. Also, as I mentioned, I just had a birthday. Keeping the show financially sustainable is a nice birthday present for me because it's a show that I love to do, and I like to be able to get to spend time away from work doing it and not feel horrible about that. Anyway, if you'd like to donate, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. Uh, I would really appreciate that, and there's some content that is only for donors up there, and I'm going to be trying to make more of that soon. There is one other thing I've got to mention. It's kind of a preemptive apology, and hopefully it is unnecessary, but recording the me and Corey conversation portion of this show was difficult. Corey is in Bali, and we got the recording okay, but there was some delay on the Skype call, and it cut out at one point, and I think I'm going to be able to paste it together in a way that makes sense and edit out some of the awkward pauses, but 
if the conversation doesn't seem to be flowing as easily, that's what was going on and trying to work around it. But just wanted to let you know if it seems off, that's probably why. Let's see. Uh, I shared some folksy wisdom. Uh, I made a recommendation. I begged. I apologized. All right. I think that should do it. Let's read a comic book. I think that's all there is left to do. Without any further ado, let's uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by John Ward. We're facing a dread thanatopsis of culture and Wong's mechanopsis. Hub's got no rhyme, so I'll put in some time to spice up the coming synopsis. Thanks, John. That was fun. I like a limerick. Defenders number 28, October 1975. My Mother the Bad Dune. Written by Steve Gerber, drawn by Sal Buscema, inked by Frank Giacoa and John Tartag, lettered by Joe Rosen, colored by Al Wenzel, and edited by Marv Wolfman. I feel like we've seen that name somewhere before. Defensive lineup. Doctor Strange, Valkyrie, the Hulk, Nighthawk, and the Guardians of the Galaxy. Featuring Major Vance Astro, Martinex, Charlie 27, Yondu, and introducing-ish, Starhawk. Previously in the Defenders. Dateline 3015. Earth's solar system turns out to be a real shithole. A group of evil space lizard imperialists named the Badoon decided to manifest their destiny all over our neck of the universe and have murdered and enslaved humanity and its allies. Dick move, lizard men. A ragtag band of freedom fighters sporting the modest moniker, the Guardians of the Galaxy, led by thousand-year-old telekinetic sad sack, Major Vance Astro, launched a desperate and largely nonsensical mission. The Guardians piled into their spaceship, the Captain America, and sent themselves hurtling into Earth's distant past, believing for some reason that the key to defeating the Badoon overlords was hanging out somewhere in the 1970s. After nearly destroying the multiverse due to a combination of being bad at math and forgetting when Vance was born, the time-traipsing titans enlisted the aid of our heroes, the Defenders. After a bit of a kerfuffle involving a super-evolved eel hurling dead fish at them, the newly assembled octet of temporally disparate do-gooders loaded up the Captain America and headed back to the Guardian's garbage fire of a century. After arriving in the far-flung future, the gang attempted to teleport Val, Vance, Yondu, and the Hulk to the Earth's surface. Unfortunately, unbeknownst to the Guardians and their Time Taurus temporary teammates, the teleportation beam was hijacked by some Badoonian baddies, and the quartet of colorful chrononauts was sent sprawling across the cosmos. To where, you ask? Geez, I was just getting to that. Calm down, Spaz. Hulk and Yondu found themselves on a medieval-looking planet filled with alcohol-addled assholes. Were they at the regular Ren Fair or the Excalibur in Las Vegas? Both would be plausible theories until the irregularly-hued heroes tried to rescue a lady from being hacked to death by the local drunkards and found themselves accosted by an army of giant owl robots. Naturally, Hulk smashed the robots. Hooray! But then an even giant owl bot appeared, accused the confused pair of protagonists of murdering her babies, and hypnotized them. The now mesmerized Marvels were brought to the booze-besotted planet's apparent emperor, a hedonistic jerkhole named Guzot, who gave the curious command that the hypnotized heroes be brought to the studio and prepared for the games. Curiouser and curiouser. 
But what of our other duo of displaced do-gooders? Val and Vance found themselves in a weird day-glow swamp. The two had little time to explore their environs before they were attacked by a swarm of vicious, vaguely humanoid hairy lizards. When Val attempted to slug it out with her quasi-reptilian assailants, she found that with each stab and slice she supplied, the sorcerously Scandinavian sword slinger was growing weaker, queasier, and inexplicably more stabbed-seeming. Why, it was almost as if by fighting her foes, Val was injuring herself. A few feet away, Vance too was momentarily overwhelmed by the savage swarm of swamp strikers. Oh no! Then he remembered that he had telekinesis and beat everyone up and rescued Valkyrie. Hooray! Val was still in dire straits and in danger of dying from her injuries. Things looked pretty glum when a stranger in a blue bodysuit appeared in a burst of light and insisted that the surprise superheroes join him in his secret swamp apartment. Once inside the suspiciously unsoggy structure, the mysterious stranger blasted Val with some kind of a healing light beam that fixed the ailing Asgardian up good as new. Thanks, mysterious swamp stranger! Meanwhile, meanwhile, back aboard the Captain America, Martinex, Doctor Strange, Charlie 27, and Nighthawk scrambled to try to locate their lost teammates. Our heroes were briefly distracted by the discovery that Jack Norris, the asshole who used to be married to the woman whose body Val's personality was magically written over, had stowed aboard the ship. Jack yelled at everybody for a minute, so Steve stuck the stentorian spaceship stowaway in a stasis field, and everyone forgot about him. Hooray! Then Strange hooked himself up to the ship's computers and gave the scanners an enormous boost of his own sorcerous energy to somehow turn the scanners into a galaxy-wide internet into which he could jack in and send his astral form neuromancering around, searching for his quartet of misplaced allies. Sounds straightforward enough, but... Steve's soul was off cyber-cowboying around the cosmos, not all was well aboard the Captain America. The starship soon found itself with a group of uninvited guests that were nearly as unwelcome as the aforementioned Jack Norris. A horde of speedo-clad lizardmen calling themselves the Badoon Elite Guard had teleported aboard and were demanding the immediate surrender of the Guardians of the Galaxy and their newfound allies! Gadzooks! Will the Guardians be forced to surrender their starship to these underdressed overlords? Will Jack Norris once again insist on inserting himself into another issue's already overstuffed narrative? And what will we learn about the mysterious blue body-suited Swamp Stranger? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Yup. Amazingly, no, and thank goodness for that, because I'm already pissed off that we finally get to see a character who is a time hobo essentially riding the temporal rails as a stowaway on a time machine, and it turns out to be Jack fucking Norris. What a waste. And not a ton. Just that his name is Starhawk, he's kinda omniscient, and he's kind of a dick about it. Naturally, Steve likes the cut of his jib. Martinex, Charlie 27, and Nighthawk rush to the Captain America's transporter room to confront the Badoon interlopers who have boarded the ship. The space lizard colonialists announce that they have sensed a great power source aboard the ship which they intend to claim. Oh, and that also they're going to take our heroes prisoner, give them a fair trial, and execute them for treason. Not necessarily in that order. But not necessarily not in that order. Chuck27, Marty, and Kyle aren't exactly wild about this proposed course of action for a few reasons. First of all, the power source the Badoon baddies sense is none other than good old Cyber Steve, and Martinex reckons that if Steve is unplugged without properly ejecting his flash drive, then his data could be corrupted. Oh no! And also he'd probably die. 
What with Steve's potential demise and the prospect of likely being torture-killed by interstellar imperialist fuckwads being somewhat less than appealing, our heroes reluctantly decline the Badoon's request for a peaceful surrender. A Donnybrook erupts. Wait a minute. Does a spaceship have a poop deck? Hmm, preliminary internet research is somewhat inconclusive, so I've got to go with my gut on this one. A poop deck Donnybrook erupts. Hooray! Chuck 27 starts clobbering up a storm, while Marty fires blasts of fire and ice out of his respective fists, which is, I guess, a thing he can do. Not to be outdone by his guardian allies, Kyle takes advantage of the fact that in space, it's apparently always nighttime, which gives the bird enthusiast billionaire duel his astounding superpower. <sighs> the strength of two strong men. Evil beware. Kyle punches and kicks some lizard men. He also punches and kicks some of the zombified humans, or zombs, that the Badoons brought with them. Things seem to be going pretty well for the good guys. Then they aren't. One of the reptilian reprobates shoots Kyle with a stun gun. <laughs> It'll take more than that to defeat a highly trained athlete with a mystical might of two strong men. Oh, what's that? It won't? Okay, I guess it won't. The Badoonian baddies take an unconscious Nighthawk hostage and demand that unless the Guardians surrender and allow themselves and Kyle to be taken prisoner and executed, they'll execute Kyle. Reluctantly, the Guardians surrender. Uh, okay. The cold-blooded cosmic colonialists cart their captives off to the control room, where they find an unconscious Stephen Strange who has wires attached to his head and is plugged into the ship's computer in a way that kind of makes him look like Rick Moranis' character in Ghostbusters. The leader of the Badoon takes one look at Steve and is like, Well, looks like he's dead. Let's just leave him here on the ship for no apparent reason and then come back and get him later for an autopsy. Anywho, let's get these other fuckers back to our Earth base so that we can tie them up for a while and then execute them later. That always seems to work out well. Unfortunately for the Badoons, there's one small flaw in their seemingly foolproof plan. Steve isn't actually dead. I know, I'm shocked too. That lizard man seems so confident. Now nah, it turns out Steve's astral form is still out bopping around the galaxy looking for his buddies. He just looks like he's dead whenever his soul pops out for a breather. I bet back at home Wong usually pins a note to him, some kind of a, please do not bury me, I am not in fact dead. Or he just uses his lifeless body for practical jokes. Maybe a little of each. Anyway, while Corporeal Steve is being ignored by space lizards, Ghost Steve is closing in on Vance and Val's location. Let's check in on those guys. Back on the weird-ass stoner's blacklight poster of a planet they were recently marooned on, our perplexed protagonists emerge from the blue-body-suited stranger's high-tech swamp shack. Their apparent speed skater of a host informs them smugly that A. He knows all the details of their respective lives, and that 2. The creatures that attacked them earlier were female Badoons, which is why Val was injured when she tried to stab them, on account of Val's particular brand of kryptonite as her inability to injure another female. This information surprises the shit out of the V-named heroes, which means that they must not have seen the cover to the last issue, which totally ruined that big reveal. And apparently our hero's lack of perceptiveness is not limited to the metafictional because their aerodynamic Azure tour guide goes on to point out that just a few feet from where they are standing, behind a clump of grass, 
is an enormous thriving high-tech alien metropolis that looks kind of like an outer space Seattle Hot Wheels playset. Dang, that must have been some tall-ass swamp grass. The blue bodysuited... <sighs> Look, I'm tired of trying to figure out ways to describe him. He hasn't introduced himself yet, which frankly is pretty fucking rude, but the guy's name is Starhawk. He's Starhawk. Anyway, Starhawk tells Valkyrie and Vance Astro that the city is called Venezia, and that it is the home to the Sisterhood of Badoon, and their leader, Queen Teleria, would like to meet with them. So there's that. Meanwhile, half a galaxy away, a still-mesmerized Hulk and Yondu are being prepared for the games. For the most part, the preparation seems to consist of having some robots strap Hulk into a suit-of-armor-slash-bondage-gear hybrid outfit. Okay? Oh, hey, you can see his unintentional jorts poking out from underneath. Hooray! I guess they figured Yondu was stylish enough already. Good call. As the games are about to begin, one of the Emperor's bikini-clad consorts sidles up to a catatonic hulk and is like, Everybody on this planet is too drunk to fuck good. You seem pretty bonable, though. See you later. I swear I am paraphrasing only very, very slightly. After this potential scion of Blanche from the Golden Girls gives her little speech, our respectively blue and green heroes are escorted into the studio. And what a studio it is. The games turns out to be a combination game show slash gladiatorial challenge called The Super Death Sweepstake. A garishly clad Wink Martindale-style host named Monty, wearing an enormous bow tie and a ruffled tuxedo, announces the proceedings. A panel of drunken celebrities chooses a potential form of death for each contestant, who is then teleported off to a soundproof televised booth where they will attempt to survive the ordeal. Wow. Eh, it still seems less dangerous and more civilized than any given episode of Rock of Love. Yondu is up first. The panel of drunkards selected that his trial is to be death by impalement. Immediately after the verdict is announced, the red-mohawked, blue-skinned Centauri warrior is beamed off to a room where the floor is tilted at a 45-degree angle. His mesmeric spell is lifted as he finds himself under attack by three enormous wheeled robots, each of whom has metal lances for arms. The coerced Cobalt contestant leaps into action, managing to get one of the robots to smash into a wall. He is rewarded for his effort by having a Morningstar and chain teleported into his hand. Cool. Maybe these drunken homicidal game show addicts aren't so bad after all. Wait, they just called the weapon a mace, despite it clearly being a morning star and chain. Fuck those guys. The newly armed Yondu manages to dispatch the remaining two robots, much to the planet-wide audience's amazement. Hooray! He is immediately teleported back to the studio, where he is applauded profusely for his efforts, and then placed under arrest by armed guards. Just like the 86 Mets. Hey, I wonder what's going on back at that swamp planet with the easily concealed bustling city. Well, it turns out the main thing that's going on there is a whole lot of exposition. Starhawk leads Val and Vance to the palace of the royal sisterhood of the Badoon, where he greets warmly and is greeted by Queen Teleria. Vance has some questions, and apparently he graduated from the Jack Norris School of Journalism, where lesson one is, when confused, scream your questions angrily at nobody in particular. Dude would have fit right in on Twitter. Vance yells a lot and demands to be told what is going on. Queen Teleria graciously responds by educating Vance, and us readers, about the history of the Badoon people. It turns out that the Badoons are a super ancient race that has been around for millions of years. 
Took them a little while to get going evolutionarily, though, because due to some kind of genetic mix-em-up, the female Badoons and the male Badoons hate each other and have spent most of their history trying to murder the shit out of one another. Must have made for some awkward Thanksgivings. Each Badoon only gets a mating urge once in their lifetime, and during that time, they kind of go into a berserker frenzy of horned-up, sex-crazed bloodlust. That's what the swamp is for. And that's what was going on with all those crazed savage lady Badoons who attacked Val and Vance. It also makes it more than a little creepy that Starhawk opted to build his high-tech shack out in the middle of the tie-dyed alien fuck swamp. Fucking creep. Speaking of creeps, while the female Badoons were stronger and fiercer warriors, the male Badoons were sneakier and shittier, and they eventually conquered and enslaved the ladies. Once a patriarchy was in place, mandatory gender segregation was instituted, and when the two warring genders were no longer around each other on a regular basis, the genetically instilled bloodlust in them began to settle down and they began to get better at technology, which eventually led to the male Badoons building rocket ships and abandoning their planet to their female counterparts, returning only for their once-a-lifetime trips to the Dayglo Orgy Bog. The dudes then lay and hatch the eggs and raise the male ones and send the females back to the homeworld to be raised there. Unbeknownst to the male Badoons, after the dudes left, the lady Badoons developed their own advanced technological utopia paradise city where they live in peace and prosperity, except for the once in a lifetime when they have to go sex berserk and head out to the murder sex marsh. Which, once again, is where Starhawk's pad is. Also, apparently on none of their sexcursions back to the homeworld have any of the lizard dudes noticed the giant metropolis that the ladies built. That must be some seriously tall grass. When Queen Teleria finishes explaining to her guests about the Badunian birds and Badunian bees, Vance and Valkyrie ask their host if it bothers her that her male counterparts have gone on to conquer, murder, and enslave much of the rest of the universe. Queen Teleria is like, They did what now? Vance repeats himself, and Teleria's like, No, they couldn't have. I mean, despite the fact that they enslaved and subjugated us for thousands of years, and despite the fact that, as I explained, I genetically hate them, I can't believe that the males of our species would do anything like that. They always seemed so nice. I mean, not to us, but in general. Huh? I, uh... Huh? Inexplicably flabbergasted that her people's historic oppressors might be behaving oppressively, the Lizard Queen turns to her old buddy Starhawk for confirmation and asks, Is this true? Starhawk is like, Oh yeah, totally, and I could have told you about it any time, but I didn't. Anyway, can't stay in chat, I have to sprout glider wings out of my shoulders and head and fly off into deep space. Bye guys, stay out of my creepy fuck swamp bunker. And off he goes, which is right about when Astral Steve Strange floats by, having finally located his two missing V-named pals. Ghost Steve watches Starhawk fly by and thinks to himself, There goes one pretty cool guy. I like the cut of his jib. Oh, hey, there are Major Vance, Astro, and Valkyrie. I'd better teleport them back to Earth. So he does that. Where they arrive just in time to see their companions, Martinex, Charlie 27, and Nighthawk, about to be publicly executed by their captors, the Badoon Brotherhood. 
to be continued. Whew, that was a long one. So last week, as the prophecy had foretold, Cory did finally find that danged magic amulet. But he dropped it in some soup and ate it, so had to wait a week for it to pass. Unpleasant times. But he's back. So joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Cory. Cory, how's it going? Better now. Yeah, it uh, wasn't a particularly pointy amulet, was it? Nope, but I just would like to say I'm glad to put that behind me. Ah, everything <laughs> worked out all right in the end? Yes. Yep. All's well that ends well. Glad to hear it. So, we read Defenders number 28, didn't we? We sure did. So what'd you think? I don't even know where to begin unpacking. Uh, okay, well, this. before we start unpacking, just generally, did you like it? Yeah. things were happening they put a a lot of work into the the background of the badoon culture which was interesting to read about and we'll get into that oh yeah i don't know it it, at the same time it was it was one of these things where it was a lot of um background again and information and not a whole lot of moving the story forward yeah i mean they're definitely i think a little bit more than the last issue and what we did get was just so much more berserk that I got to tell you, I loved this issue. It was really weird, and there were certainly problems within it, but it was just so goddamn weird that I was like, okay, we are in the fucking 70s now, aren't we? Yeah, for sure. And that aspect of it was a lot of fun. I love reading stuff that's written this far in the past and seeing what their take on what the future would look like. Is, and, and I think this is something that's yeah. come up on the show before, but it's always a lot of fun because it is so completely inflected with the you know style and the, and the kind of feel of the time in which it's being written and the clothing and the like the architecture in the the new city that we discover in all this. It just totally has this like, oh yeah you know 70s feel to it, which was a lot of fun. So let's start off with talking a little bit about the Badoon planet, which we find out is where Val and Major Vance Astro ended up in the last issue. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow, indeed. Okay. So, just for starters, Starhawk seems like a real dick. Yeah, kind of a, one of these uh, know-it-all types, right? Yeah. Yeah, was, he comes across to me as, as one of these figures that, you know, definitely thinks of himself as an instrument of destiny, and that there may be elements to that or maybe it's even true but the way in which he comports himself due to that just makes him somebody that i wouldn't want to hang around yeah and also like it's yeah it's like he has magnetism super speed and magic powers it's like that level of like deus ex machina but in addition to that he's also kind of poochy from the simpsons and that he's just like and my work here is done, so I'm going to fly off to the moon. Goodbye, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's the, like, what the fuck just happened? The universe needs me to go hang out alone in space. And why couldn't he have told the Badoon Queen all of that shit? Like, I don't know. Apparently she knows him pretty well. Because when he shows up, she's just like, oh, hey, Starhawk. You guys know Starhawk, right? Like, he's totally my buddy. He's that omniscient alien who lives in our tie-dyed fuck swamp. Uh, how's it going, buddy? Right. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, then he doesn't really have much to say, right? She's uh, the, Vance Astro is like, do you, do you know what awful things the 
male Badoons are doing, and she's like, you know, and tells her, and then she asked Starhawk to verify, and he's like, yep, yeah, he's telling the yeah. truth. That's all I can say. I gotta yeah. go. Yeah, I could have said any of that shit earlier, but I'm mostly just here to berate people for not knowing things that I just somehow magically know all of. Because, like, yeah, he, he talks shit to fucking Vance about, like, not having instantly figured out where they are. And I'm not the biggest Vance booster in the world, but, like, you know, dude was in cryogenic sleep for a thousand years. Cut him a little bit of slack on not instantly catching up on planetary geography. Sure. Yeah, he's a dick. And, and then he's like, Val, you forget I know everything about you forever. It's like, whoa, no, she didn't forget that. You never told her that. You forget that. Not a sympathetic character. No, but I do like his weird fucking solar wings that he grows to fly back to his home planet at the end. Yeah, are they attached at his shoulders and the back I of his think knees? It seems like almost like a flying squirrel type thing where, yeah, like they're they're attached to his his shoulders and I think his ankles. And then also he has separate ones on his head. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool looking, but it's also a little bit confusing. Yeah, and also, I mean, you don't need wings in space, right? There's no air to deal with. Oh, they're solar wings. I view them as, like, the things that they use to, like, sail across those lines in Tron. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I got you. I mean, I guess those probably don't make any sense either, but I thought they were cool looking, so I'm all in on that. Yeah, yeah, okay, style points. Got it. Let's talk a little bit more about this Badoonian homeworld. Mm-hmm. because it doesn't make any sense. So the Badoons have been around for, like, fucking forever. Mm-hmm. Like, way longer than humanity, because they say they've been around longer than the Kree and the Skrull, who both predate humanity. Mm-hmm. So they've been around forever, but most of that time they didn't do a hell of a lot, because genetically, the men and the women hate each other, and I guess it's just whenever they're near each other, They just, all they can think about is trying to kill each other. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then, so eventually they developed a thing where they only want to fuck once a year. Not once a year, once in their lifetime. Yep, they just get one shot. But when they do that, they like, both of them, instead of like being in traditional, like when they're in heat where they're just like super horny, all I want to do is fuck. Then they're like, ah, super horny, all I want to do is try to kill each other. Mm -hmm. And I guess somewhere in there, there's some fucking. And so then the women are stronger than the men and smarter than the men, but the men are sneakier. And so the men enslaved the women and used them as forced labor, and then they developed science because once they get separated from each other, they can be like, oh, shit, what was I doing with all that crazy animal shit? Like, I should be building spaceships. Mm -hmm. And they both end up being kind of like that. So then the dudes all fly off in a rocket ship and once a year a group of them will come to the planet and they'll have like whatever kind of weird sex fight they have in the swamp Mm -hmm. and i guess that's just kind of the way it's been for a while now and then the the males come back and then they steal all the eggs and then they take them back to their other planet and they hatch them in an incubator and then they take all the female they send the lady eggs back to the the swamp and then they raise all the the dude eggs Mm mm-hmm And somewhere in there, the ladies also developed parallel and possibly superior technological and scientific advancement from the dudes. And so they built a crazy space Seattle that is somehow hidden, even though it's like a 20 second walk from the fuck swamp. And you just have to push some like 
grass aside, and then like, oh, there's a fucking Seattle. Yep, they got a nice space needle and everything. Yeah, some canals. Some canals. Yeah, they just really put a fine point, though, on like the, the female technical evolution was used for, for peace and harmony, and the males was used for, for warfare and, you know, empire building. Yeah, but there's also this weird disconnect where when Vance Astro and Val kind of acting almost like as his backup singer, just chiming in with like, yeah, what he said, tells the queen that like, dude, do you know what the dudes have been up to? Like, everybody in the universe hates the Badoons and would probably blow up this planet if they could just so there can't be any more Badoons. And she's like, wait, they did what? She seems totally aghast that the dude Badoons could have done anything bad when they have enslaved her and all of the other women on the planet for thousands of years. And also, they are apparently genetically encoded to hate these dudes. And she's like, yeah, but they were nice to their horses and dogs, so they're good dudes. And the way in which the queen expresses that, too, is very strange because she says that, you know, they were gentle and that actually the females envied the way that the males treated their their pets and their yeah and that is like not a good explanation of why you're you would be surprised that somebody was warlike they're like they were so bad to us that we envied the way that they treated the animals that they used for labor so i don't understand why they would i read that differently i read that she was just like we envied that they were so nice to dogs and animals because we're dicks to dogs and animals. Oh, they envied the, their courtesy, like their ability <laughs> to be courteous to other things because the females lacked that. That's another yeah, way to look at it. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, Either your way, way makes more sense, but none of the speech makes any sense. So either way, it's bonkers. And after that speech, it's funny too because she just goes straight to, hey, Starhawk, is this true? Nothing about the speech or the information that is disseminated within it makes any sense. None of her reactions make sense, but it's interesting. So the Badoon Elite Guard show up on the ship. Everybody's fighting everybody. Martinex does a thing, which is cool. He, he can apparently blast heat and cold out of his fists. Which, if we had that information before, I had completely forgotten it. Because he just hasn't done shit except for fuck up math. So, that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. And he had this really, like, uh, cool, non-lethal weapons approach to to dealing with the bad guys. Where he's like, well, I could just freeze their asses and kill them. But that seems pretty mean. So, I'm just going to make this ice rink and watch them slip around on it. Well, yeah, that's because that was the humans. And apparently, like, I'm sorry, the Zoms. Which, I think that's kind of a fun abbreviation of zombie, who are like, the Badoons brainwashed a bunch of people. And even including them, there's only 50 million people left in the universe. 50 million humans, that is. So they don't want to hurt any of them. So yeah, he just made them all slip around on the ice. And yeah, that was that was pretty fun. I enjoyed that. Uh, we find out that Charlie 27 has the density and mass of 11 people. So that's pretty good. Makes uh, Nighthawks a lot of people. people look like weak sauce. I had that same thought. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, the dude who is nine dudes weaker than him uh, does okay for a second, then hurts his shoulder. And he gets shot. Yeah. Well, that's how he hurts his shoulder. 
he gets shot in the shoulder mm-hmm. and he gets stunned because it's a stun gun. And then they do that thing where like the bad guys hold him hostage and say like, okay, let us kill all of you or we'll kill this guy. Seems like a bad and deal. And they're all like, oh, okay. It really is a bad deal. I mean, presumably they've been at war with these people for a while. They've seen their population get I think literally decimated. Like I think they're or wait, no, literally would be if they only killed a tenth of them. So I guess inversely decimated. Um <laughs> but like almost the entire Earth's population's been wiped out by these dudes. I understand that they're heroes, but you'd think they would have developed a little bit more pragmatism than that. Especially since the dude is like, I mean, at this range, a Badoon's stun gun could possibly kill him. It's like, well, do they know that he's he has the strength of two guys? Because he might uh, be okay. Yeah, call the bluff for once. Yeah, give it a shot. But they don't. And so they're like, okay, we'll go take you to Steve. And then Steve looks dead because he's in his astral state. And I guess the Badoons didn't bring a little a little mirror with them so they can check if he's going to fog it up with his breath. Mm-hmm. Bad future tech, dudes. Yeah, amateur hour. And then so they all get taken hostage. They decide to leave Steve on board the ship. Oh, we'll come back for his corpse later. Let's do a public execution of two of the most wanted criminals we've ever encountered and a dude dressed like a bird who was hanging out with them. Yep, basically Kyle fucks up, gets everybody caught. Yep, way to go, Kyle. But also, you know, like I said, some of the blame lies on the other Guardians for not having developed any pragmatism in their years as freedom fighters. So plenty of blame to go around, including on Steve, who is like, well, I could teleport them out of here because apparently I can teleport anyone anywhere and it's super easy for me to do that, even in my astral state. But I'm sure they're fine. I'm going to go fuck off and look for my buddies. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess Steve Steve knows all at this point. And I, I like, too, that he's up there watching it all unfold and just kind of having a little chuckle to himself. Oh, they think I'm dead. <laughs> you know, stupid lizards. <laughs> oh, suckers. Oh. Yep. Then he goes to the fuck swamp and he, like I said, he can instantly teleport Val and Vance Astro to Earth from there. So I guess Earth is in the exact equal and opposite direction from the Badoon planet as it is from the drunk game show death medieval planet. Which the way apparently that gets conf- explained is really funny. You're referring to the, the editor's comment? I that? am indeed. That really cracked yeah. me up too. Does is that a well, common thing? Well, did you see who the where, editor is? Yeah, I'm just wondering if that's a, a a common thing where the editor will kind of make a joke about something being hard to understand like that. I I don't recall seeing that before. I I don't think it's common. I know it does happen some, and I do think it's kind of funny that it's Marv Wolfman because he's written so much shit that doesn't make any sense that I'm like, dude, yeah. <laughs> <Right>? I mean, <laughs> he's absolutely <Really>? right. <laughs> Are you- but it is weird that he's, I, like, I hanging Velvet. a highlight on it like that. Like, he's really putting a lampshade on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I just imagine that, like, the creative process with with these things being churned out relatively quickly. I like that rather than perhaps getting together and having a conversation, you know, hey, the way you explain this is, is a little confusing. Can you try rewriting it? He's like, nah, I'll just stick a note in the, <laughs> the comment that says, what? <laughs> Yeah, it's like, basically like having an editor's note after something that is like, 
dude, if you're an editor, you could have edited that and made it make more sense. But instead, you just decided to put a little asterisk and basically write under it. That was dumb. I know. I, I kind of want to start doing that at work when somebody's like, hey, can you review this presentation before I go present it to these smart, important people? I'm like, sure, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> a little note here. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Just put a footnote that says, like, the person who wrote this is dumb. Um, <laughs> so what it actually says is, for if the computer's calculations were correct, then I can locate the Hulk and Yondu by proceeding precisely the same distance at precisely the opposite angle from the course, which will lead me to Valkyrie and Vance Astro. And then, yeah, there's a little asterisk, and at the bottom it says, What? <laughs> Marv. Yep. And, yeah, I thought that was both fun and kind of dickish in a way that I, I really enjoyed. Same. So let's talk a little bit about the planet that Hulk and Yondu find themselves on and their adventure. Sure. What'd you think of that? I thought that was quite a bit of fun. I like yeah. the way that they explained it on the, the first page. And man, that inset panel, speak, well, I'm sure we'll probably get to this, but where it, it shows Hulk's face while he's in his um, uh, hypnotic thrall, or, or however they called it, is precious. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on with all of that stuff. There's the weird conversation that the King Grozot's consort has with him, where she's basically just saying boner talk at him. Yeah, I'm just going to read that, what she says, because like, that is like a Bon Scott level single entendre, pretty much. <laughs> like... I am curious, green one. You are so unlike the men of our place. Your limbs are hard and strong, not flaccid and weak with the weight of too much drink. It's like, whoa! And it's it's funny, too, in that panel, because I know they're attempting to, to draw Hulk as, as if he's hypnotized. Uh-huh. But his expression, he looks like he's like, huh? <laughs> like, but, like, angry. <laughs> like, that is so objectifying. Jesus. <laughs> really? Yeah, I think either read is totally makes sense. Yeah, I called the game show that they have. I know it has already a pretty cool name, which is the uh, Super Death Sweepstakes, which is really fun. But I was calling this the Thirsty Games because it's like the Hunger Games, <laughs> except for, you know, the people involved don't seem particularly ill-fed, but they are super drinky all the time. And also just because of the consort and that she seems super thirsty for the Hulk's bod. So, uh, yeah, I, I was calling this whole thing the Thirsty Games, and I think that's a pretty apt description. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. We'll keep it. Yondu does pretty good for himself in the first round of this weird game show prelude to the Running Man sweepstakes. I wonder when the Running Man came out and, like, to what extent that's, like, parallel evolution or if this comic book maybe influenced it, you know? Yeah, definite possibility. Yandu does great. Good job. I did write in big letters on my notes because I am a fucking nerd. That's not a mace. Well, it's it's a Morningstar morning chain. Yep. <laughs> it's a Morningstar in chain, and it's not a mace, and it made me very angry. <laughs> yeah, was wondering if that was going to come up. But... <laughs> oh, it's coming up all right. <laughs> all right. But yeah, he uses it to good effect, smashes up the robots, 
Good job, Yondu. Yeah, and like, yeah, uses every part of it too. Like he uh, he then uses the chain to rip off another robot's knife tongue and then cut off its head. Yep, man. And his good, commentary good is good, job, buddy. Yeah, yeah, he's got good like uh, good commentary as he's jumping over the robots as they're rushing in to stab him. He's just like, truly, this is a planet of madmen. What a calm, cool, collected thing to say as you're leaping over a bunch of stabby robots. Yeah, he's a pretty cool guy. Yeah, I'm show. liking this Yondu better and better. Any other thoughts on the game show planet? They seem like they're moving away from the medieval thing. So I guess that's like one aspect of the culture. But then they also just went like deep dove right into like 70s game show. They sure did. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm excited to see how the Hulk acquits himself in this in this sweepstakes. I'm also a little bit confused because it seemed in this one more like the citizens of the Grazat planet really were just partying and were super drunk. And I don't know how the game shows tie into the society and like whether they're all assholes or just their leader's an asshole and is making them kill each other so they get drunk to deal with it. It's it's kind of weird. Yeah, I thought about it a little bit and then gave up. It's not <laughs> a bad policy. <laughs> Just really one final note that I had about the issue. No Jack Norris. I think that might be why I loved this issue so much. There's no Jack Norris. The sexual politics of the whole Badoon thing was so confused and like logistically off that I wasn't even really able to get upset at the potential sexism that might be happening in it because I couldn't figure it out enough. So... Really, I just kind of got to bask in the fact that we had a fun issue with no Jack Norris. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I really got to thinking about the whole Badoon reproductive thing and the, the timing of it. And So this is like mid, mid-70s mid U.S. You know, yeah. feminism, women's liberation, they were calling it, is, is in full swing. And so there's a lot of that in the popular culture of the time. And you got to think that has some, you know, impact on these guys creating a story where it's like a battle of the sexes, but we'll going to say that the, the females are, are stronger and scarier, but the men are basically smarter, and that's how they were able to essentially subjugate right. them. But not smarter, just sneakier. Like, they, they do make that part clear, that the women are actually smarter. It's just that the dudes are, are more sly and sneaky, but still nice to horses. Um, <laughs> the, the, let's find the dialogue on that, because I didn't read it 100% that way. Even on this world, it never extended to other species. They were a gentle breed, actually. We rather envied the courtesy they accorded their pets and beasts of burden. Okay, your your take on it is probably more accurate that they I'm, I'm envied think... that they treated the pets nice because they didn't treat the, the women who were their slaves nice. And okay, yeah, when I say that out loud, that probably does have larger implications yeah that and and also on the the previous page on page 26 when they're when they're explaining basically how the how the males came to dominate they said you know though fiercer and stronger than the males of our species we badoon females lacked their cunning their slyness and so i don't necessarily read that to mean it was just like sneakiness was the only advantage that the the males had i mean cunning can also be read as intelligence yeah, I guess I had really just read it as sneakiness. 
You're right. I think I maybe just inserted in my mind a phrase where they were they were smarter too, although they did certainly catch up with and make their own technological advancements. But gosh, yeah, I totally misread that. That is pretty fucked up. That it's yeah, yeah. yeah I just can't help but think of this as like this time capsule into this you know period of gender and politics in the U.S. where there is just all this this conflict going on and these guys whether they're thinking of it or not are reflecting that in their storytelling yeah i think you're i think you're totally right it's weird i'm not sure exactly what kind of point it's trying to make or if it is trying to make a point about it or if it's just like hey here's some stuff a lot of these comic books and with steve gerber's take on them in general we got this a little bit that the racism and the issues of race in the sons of the serpent issue were presented almost without comment it's almost like the way dreams happen, where it's just like, here's all this background information. I'm going to put it through some filters and just put it up in a weird fucking collage. Yep. And it's also has that surreal aspect. It's almost like, yeah, he's just intaking all of the culture around him and like creating this bizarre dream. Yeah, that's that's one of the of things it. that's so much fun to, to read about comics from this era where there's so much of that going on and then it kind of leaves you however many years later trying to be like huh okay yeah were they they trying to say something or is this yeah just this weird pastiche of what was going on in the culture at that time yeah i i don't have a definitive answer unless he was just trying to make the larger point that starhawk's an asshole (laughs) well as starhawk said he does not lie was there anything else you wanted to touch on about the story before we get into the minutia? Yeah, where is Jack Norris? Is he still frozen, <laughs> having his time out from Doctor Strange somewhere uh, on the spaceship? Presumably. Okay. I kind of hope so. <laughs> there will be no violence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia time to sweat the small stuff thanks rick so Corey, what do you feel like hitting up first why don't we we move on to one that i had a little bit of a challenge on i feel like i got kind of a lame answer for it so maybe you can go first and that was in this issue who just had to be a sucker well let's see what character acted against their previously established motivation or character in a way that furthered the plot It's funny you should bring this up as the first one because we were just talking about it before we went to break. I chose Jack Norris for being quiet (laughs) (laughs) and for not just continually yelling, where's my wife? Uh, What have you done with my wife? When the Bandoons invaded the ship. I love you, Valkyrie. Yeah. Not even that. You love me and you're not Valkyrie. (laughs) Oh, right, right. Yeah, sorry. All right, Um, good point. So yeah, I went with Jack Norris. As I said, I'm enjoying his absence. I hope it is not leading up to him doing something on the ship that saves the day. Yeah. Uh, if it like turning it into like some kind of a space diehard starring Jack Norris, because I really don't want that. No, that that sounds awful. All right, uh, let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, who did you have as your sucker? For my sucker, and this doesn't necessarily move the story forward, but I had the Hulk because. After thinking about it a little bit, I thought to myself, no one keeps the Hulk in psychic thrall. Like, how can that be? <laughs> it is a little bit 
even if he is kept in psychic thrall, it seems like he should revert to being Banner, right? Bruce Banner, which we talked about, which was, I think, why I had him as my sucker last week. I feel like he should have gotten pissed off enough or maybe worked up enough from all the boner talk that he uh, <laughs> he should he should be hulking up at some point. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's going on with that? He's just sitting there in his, his tight fitting armor and getting ogled by the bikini gal. That, yeah. It's weird. Well, I, th- I think that is a fair choice. And seeing as you started to bring it up, let's move along to sartorially speaking. Sartorially speaking, what fashion choices would you like to comment on in this issue? I would like to briefly bring up one. You talked about the Hulk's weird metal outfit that they put him in. Mm-hmm. My favorite version of it is the one that's on page 16, where we see that they have tailored this weird, like, metal space harness for him. A combination of, like, space knight and, like, bondage gear type rig. But they left his jorts on under it. Oh, man, the coloration is weird, too. His jorts are actually navy colored in in the copy that I have. Yeah, they are in mine, too. I wonder if maybe they just, they were like, oh, well, these purple pants. No, we need to get you some good game show pants. Some nice navy blue jorts. (laughs) And then we'll put a weird metal rig on over them. Yeah, totally. It's it's like a chastity belt codpiece thing connected to a shoulder thing connected to a helmet. And I also like that they're like, we got to get this weird green guy some new clothes. And they took a look at Yondu's outfits and were like, no notes. (laughs) Stop digging Yondu, you hit gold. Yeah. Yeah, you're good to go. But that was only one of the fashion choices I wanted to comment on. The game show host. Dude, that fucking bow tie. What is going on? It's like a giant oversized novelty bow tie that he's wearing over this heavily ruffled tuxedo shirt. It is amazing. And also his name is Monty. Like, I think he's pretty clearly supposed to be some kind of a caricature of Monty Hall from Let's Make a Deal. And they just went so overboard with it. And I love it. Love his heavily ruffled tuxedo shirt that you see poking out with both the fringe on the arms uh, coming out of the sleeves and coming out from the lapels. And yeah, this enormous red polka dot bow tie. It's so good. It is a hell of a look. And I got to say, if we happen to pick a color for this suit, it's uh, kind of in the goldenrod family, probably. Um, It, It is. And I should probably mention, too, that it also has like wide straight legs that may or may not be bell bottoms and shoulder pads like he is a 1980s businesswoman. It's really quite a look. Yeah, it is bonkers. Also, wanted to say a little bit about uh, Queen Teleria of the Badoons. She has a very interesting look put together. Very classy evening gown with some large hoop earrings. And then I wasn't sure if it was a scepter that she was carrying around or she just happened to be eating a giant thing of cotton candy when, <laughs> when Starhawk showed up with some guests. Yeah, what is that thing? I, I don't know. If it's a scepter, it's a weird, like, floppy scepter type thing, or maybe some kind of swamp plant that she found. But I couldn't get out of my mind that she was just eating some cotton candy. And it's like, oh, we have guests. Well, this is good. I'm, I'm just going to keep holding it. I'll go back to eating it as soon as they leave. But, um... Yeah. 
Okay. Yep. Cotton candy scepter. Nice. And also, she finishes off her classy look with a really wacky looking a mitre, like a pope hat type thing. Yeah. Which is just bonkers it, it, looking. It looks almost like what a, not the pharaoh, but like the evil guy who's trying to overthrow the pharaoh would be wearing in like mm. uh, a, a cartoon about Egypt. Right. Yeah. But like instead of snakes or something, it's got that weird like castle or rook looking icon on it. Yeah, like she was a rook who was also somehow a grand vizier. Yes, and an evening gown with <laughs> yes. gold jewelry. And some cotton candy. Yep, that is quite a look. Yeah, it, I can see why they elected her queen. Oh, and a perm, too. <laughs> like a short, like kind of an old lady perm. <laughs> like it's a, yeah. it's a real change from the swamp days. Honestly, and she has the bearing of like a middle-aged fancy lady from the 80s like i <laughs> she looked kind of like nancy reagan-y to me oh shit. but like you know but not evil <laughs> uh-huh. i read it different i didn't go the nancy reagan route i imagine her like carrying herself and presenting herself like a like eartha kit in like the movies from the the 70s oh geez yeah i didn't find her eartha kit sexy <laughs> oh no not sexy just the bearing <laughs> Regal. Oh, okay. Hey, what happens in the tie-dyed fuck swamp stays in the tie-dyed fuck swamp. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Yikes, getting into some weird territory here. You know, on page 27, it really does look cotton candy-ish. Yeah. There's not much yeah, left, think... though. She's been busy. <laughs> well, it's been a pretty long visit. Yeah. What was your favorite sound effect? Oh, man, this was a pretty rich issue for sound effects there was a lot of them yeah the first one that stands out is we did get a nice big wet crunch punch (laughs) on page three Uh, Uh uh-huh always always like to see a a punch with a crunch Um, sure i put that in there more so for kind of nostalgia purposes my my favorite and i thought that the most kind of creative one and and this is something that you referenced earlier which is marty's got the ability to shoot hot or, or cold whatever from his hands and uh-huh. the different temperature blasts have different sound effects that come out at the same time. And uh-huh. the, the cold one makes a crack sound, and the hot one makes a flam sound. I really like the crack-flam combo, too. That's on page two. It was it was really cool-sounding, or looking, or whichever. Right. But yeah, there was a lot in this issue. There was the zat of uh, Nighthawk getting shot with the stun gun. There was a clud of Nighthawk ducking and making the two zombs run into each other. Yep, that was good. But I think my favorites come from page 17, where there's so many good ones. There's a chugga-chugga-chugga of the (laughs) robots attacking. There's the swash noise of teleporting. But then we get one that comes up a couple of places, and once it's robots running into a wall, and, well, actually both times, it's different robots running into a wall, so there's some consistency. But it makes the noise... Chang! Mm-hmm. And in my mind, it didn't necessarily make the noise Chang, but Yandu was saying Chang because he draws strength from remembering the perseverance and endurance of 1988 French Open tennis champion Michael Chang. And so when he <laughs> needs to be inspired, he goes, Chang! That's right, if Michael Chang could win the 1988 French Open, I can defeat these robots. Oh, shit. So I went with Chang. That is funny. 
There's another good one too, and then still is part of that same like extended robot fight scene. It's on page 22, and it's the noise that it makes when you use a chain to pop a robot's head off. And that oh yeah, that is a. Did you have that one? Clanch. Clanch. Yeah. Clanch. Clanch is nice too. Yeah, I I did have that one as well. I think if it were not for my fondness for 1988 French Opium champion Michael Chang, I might have gone with Clanch. Good to know. Gosh, this is going to be a difficult one for me. What were your favorite words in this issue? Oh, man, there were so many weird things that were said in this comic. I, I think I'm actually going to keep it super simple. And, and it's actually the kind of combination, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, the combination of the way that it's drawn and the, the exposition that goes with it. And it's really just, it's Hulk's face and Yondu's face on the opening page, on page one, talking about how they're marooned on a planet of drunkards and robot slaves. And there's just something <laughs> about that turn of phrase with Hulk's hypnotized face that really resonated with me. So that's, uh, that's it. I think that is completely fair. I had a couple of things. We already talked about the boner talk, but there's also, there's something that Major Vance Astro said, and I think it's an interesting window into the way that he talks. It's when Starhawk has just said something and he's like, basically like, wait, what are you talking about? But the way he phrases it is, whoa, reverse thrust there, mister. (laughs) And it's like, oh, like, you really want to highlight the fact that you're an astronaut in your everyday speech. It, it reminds me of, like, if he was a sailor, I'm sure he would just be like, whoa, 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 uh, tighten in that mast and haul in your spinnaker, buddy. We've got a long way to go. Or, like, if I was a judge, I would definitely, like, if you asked me any question, I would answer it by saying either sustained or overruled. I like that attention to detail and him highlighting his, like, I'm I'm a spaceman, so I use spaceman talk. And that's what my slang sounds like. Yep. Yeah, exclusively so, interstellar metaphors, nothing else allowed. Uh-huh. Exactly. Like, just if you punch somebody, you say, blast off! And then, uh, <laughs> that, that's... That's it's pretty much just that reverse thrust. So, mm-hmm. I ideally, I think Vance would maybe talk a little bit less. But I I really did enjoy that, actually. But I think my absolute favorite words in the issue were from one of the game show judges. When the game show is being introduced, the Super Death Sweepstakes, Monty has just made the announcement, Good evening, ladies and germs, and welcome once again to the game where one wrong move can be your last. Yes, Guzadians, this is Super Death Sweepstakes. And that's great, but what's better is the response from one of the panelists, who, in the way that it is lettered, clearly shows that she is drunk, says, Yay! Death! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that whole panel is nuts. I just love the yay death yay. It's so good. And especially like she's just kind of drunkenly slurring it. It makes me very happy. And that is my favorite words in the issue. What was your favorite panel? I have a toss up between on page 11 when we're introduced to V Venezia. I guess we'd say it the uh, the city of the sisterhood of the Badoon. I love the yeah Venetia. 
Yep, the just the space age, you know, modern yet looking completely retro to us Seattle in the future. Re- retro modern art space Seattle mm-hmm. is it it's pretty fun. It's also pretty minimalistly drawn, especially in relation to like some of the George Perez future city stuff that we see. But it, it is really fun looking. I, I get that. What what was your other one? Uh, my other one is, and this is a scene we spent quite a amount of time on, uh, on page 15 on the top panel. And it's, it's Hulk getting fitted into his funky metal uh, get up before he gets accosted by the lady with a boner talk. And uh, just the whole panel is, is pretty interesting. You've got the king in there kind of gloating in a way, like clasping his hands together. And the lady in the orange bikini is like totally giving Hulk the eye. There's just a lot going on. Robots are working on him. Yeah, I like that one. I think my favorite is on the next page. And there's a couple on that page. There's the when we get the reveal that the super death sweepstakes is a game and that this alien planet has essentially the same lighting and camera studio setup that we would have on Earth at this time. Uh, I think that's really cool. But I love the introduction where it's just the trumpeters that are dressed in marching band outfits and it's them playing the trumpets and it's saying ra-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta and they all have these banners that are coming down from their trumpets that say Guzat who's the emperor and I guess they named the planet after him Mm -hmm. I just really like that panel it's really just like oh shit this is gonna be fun it's about to get weird uh huh so in this issue, who is the best defender and who was the worst offender? Who you got, Corey? All right, let's start with the best. And for both the best and the worst categories, I actually opted not to go with my first choice because there has been, a, I feel like, a fair amount of repetition in my choices lately. So I'm going to give my first choices a little bit of rest and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let the, the B-list folks get the vote this time. So oh. with the best, I'm giving it to Yondu because ah. he really didn't. He didn't screw anything up, and he and he really fucked up those robots. So yeah, and he and he kept his cool, and I uh, didn't need a costume change. So go Yondu. I'm fully with you on that. I had Yondu as my best defender as well, uh, much like the Guzadians uh, said when they saw his outfit. Yondu, no notes. You fucking nailed it. Just well <laughs> done. He got the most action out of anybody, and he did the most that I also didn't have to say. Yeah, but that other thing was pretty fucked up. Mm -hmm. Who did you have as your worst offender? For my worst offender, uh, we can go to page 23 and the top right panel where we see Vance Astro gesturing directly at the reader with his hand reaching out saying, what is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) And that just pretty much sums up like his entire appearance in this, this comic book. Yeah, just confused yelling. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's who I had. No, I think that's absolutely fair. And he was my backup choice for Worst Offender. Because, yeah, he he shows up and doesn't really know what's happening and just kind of yells angrily and confused at everyone. And I think that's a fair choice. If Starhawk was established as one of the good guys at this point, he would be my choice because I just really did not like him. But... I decided to go with Steve. Steve did an okay job for the most part, but, and I mentioned it before, but when he he takes off an astral form and it's like, 
oh, I'm sure they'll be fine. I'll let them get carted off and taken to be publicly executed. That's some terrible triaging there, especially as it's established that you have the ability to teleport people over huge distances. You could have just zapped them someplace else. Mm. And we see that he could have done that when he teleports at the very end, Valkyrie and Vance, to Earth to go rescue their teammates. It Mm -hmm. also means that in the last issue, instead of letting Martinex use the tubes that got diverted and where everybody got scattered everywhere, he could have just teleported them all to Earth really easily. So, bad job, Steve. You didn't have uh, uh, Kyle uh, doing a bad job for basically getting everybody caught? I mean, he ducked real good, let those zombs run into each other. That was pretty smooth. Okay. I guess that makes up for getting shot and having everybody (laughs) else captured. Which, if you think about it, really is like the impetus for Steve's bad bad, uh, choices. Yeah, I guess. But also, you could give that to Martin Hex and Charlie 27 for, you know, not just letting the bad guys shoot Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. There's some poor decision-making going on all around. I just decided to go with Steve on this one. Fair enough. Well, I think that brings us to the end of most of our categories. Yes. But but that does leave us with the category of he's not here for a long time. He's here for a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. All right. Corey, in the year of our Lord, 1975, and the month of our Lord, October, how did Wong demonstrate that he was... Not here for a long time. He was here for a good time. So Wong is a little bit sore at Steve because, you know, this is a pattern of behavior that I think we've seen repeat itself kind of a lot. But anyway, let me back up a little bit. So it is October of 1975, and there's really quite a lot going on in the world at this time. However, Wong is, you know, with his his great martial arts uh, background and and pedigree, is also a fan of the the sweet science. He's really, really excited to go see Ali fight fight Frazier in the Philippines, the the thriller in Mm -hmm. Manila, and has has gotten some tickets. And being the thoughtful manservant that he is, he he also picked up tickets, including the the airline tickets for Doctor Strange. And he's like super excited to share with him, hey, I, I planned this little, you know, guys weekend, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna fly down there, we're gonna see the fights, you know, it's gonna be a good time. And um, he's like, you know, hey, Dr. Strange, uh, I have a, a surprise for you. I, I got some tickets. And, and as he's about to explain what the what the surprise is, Strange just um, jumps in. He's like, Wong, no need to explain. I know that you're very excited that that Emperor Hirohito is coming to visit Disney World. Um, oh. And because at this point he's mistakenly thought that that Wong he is, thinks is Wong maybe is Japanese. Japanese and also loyal to the emperor. Right. Damn <laughs> and, it, Steve. I know. And uh, Wong is just like, you know what? Fuck this, and just flies to Manila himself to watch the fights. So it is really kind of a a bummer. But that's a oh. that's where we're at. Bad job, Wait. Steve. Very bad job, Steve. But I'm sure that Wong had a good time. <laughs> he did. He, you know what? He was the... there for a long time and for a good time in <laughs> watching Ali beat Frazier in a TKO in Manila in one of the greatest fights ever. Yep. So 
Good for him. But damn it, Steve, you trained in the Himalayas with Wong. You know he's not Japanese. Oh, Steve. Well, Steve had just read in the paper this morning about about the Japanese emperor coming to, to Disney and was all excited to share his knowledge about that. And he just got a little ahead of himself. Well, it's a good thing that Wong has some other friends that he can hang out with besides Steve. Some friends that might come from another dimension, perhaps. Some friends that Wong may have made friends with, one of them at least, during a time when I got confused and was looking up what Aqualad was probably up to this month. (laughs) So Wong was hanging out with his buddy Aqualad, who he brought here through, I don't know, some kind of a portal. And he brought his good buddy Aqualad to testify in front of the U.S. Supreme Court in a case about whether or not teachers should be allowed to spank their students. Um, Oh, no. Aqualad, like, shared with the Supreme Court some of the tales of when he was growing up. And the Supreme Court heard all of his testimony, and they did, unfortunately, end up ruling that it was legal for a teacher to spank a student. But what got a lot less press was there was a subclause in that decision that was, but under no circumstances whatsoever should teachers be allowed to telepathically control novelty fish into attacking their students. Oh, thank God for that. Yeah, which was really what Aqualad was. That was his happy takeaway of that, because most of his stories were about Aquaman thinking it was kind of funny or trying to punish uh, Aqualad by sending, like, hammerhead sharks and sawfish after him. Oh, man. What a jerky yeah, thing to yeah. do. It was a jerky thing to do, and, and it brought up some some bad times for, for the young lad. So Wong decided to help take Aqualad's mind off of things by taking his good buddy Aqualad, who, again, he brought to the Marvel Universe's New York City through a, a portal or something that he found, uh, he got him tickets to go see Saturday Night Live. Oh, uh, the very the very first. The very first one. Aqualad was a huge fan of George Carlin. He noted all of his musings about the crazy way that surface people do things and the, the foibles of life, which Aqualad had also noted many of those, although not necessarily with the same humorous twist that George Carlin had. And uh, he really appreciated that. And so... Went and saw the first episode of Saturday Night Live, which was hosted by George Carlin. And that is how Wong demonstrated that he wasn't here for a long time. He was here for a good time. Nice. Yeah, kind of. Good recovery. Nice recovery. Thank you. Thank you. One does what one can. Uh, Well, thank you so much for joining us all the way from Bali today, Corey. This has been a real treat. I enjoyed going over this issue with you. And... I am looking forward to the conclusion of this tale in The Defenders number 29. Likewise. Yeah, and thank you for joining us, dear listeners. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook or on Twitter at ttwasteland underscore. If you would like to leave us a review on iTunes. We've gotten some new ones recently, and I think it's really helped us uh, find a larger audience, and I'd, I'd like that to continue. But yeah, th- thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to donate, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. 
Uh, that's all I got. Corey, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Um, no, no, I'm good. And on that note, yay, death, yay. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. My mother, the Badoon. <laughs> That's a weird title. And they knew it. Hi, this is Hub again. Just a brief editor's note. As I was putting this show together, I remembered that Michael Chang won the French Open in 1989, not 1988. 1988 was Mats Wielander. So I'm aware of that. I hope it didn't mar your enjoyment of the show. And I just know how clay court tennis aficionados can be about these sorts of things. So please don't come at me. Thank you. Maybe we is, is there one that we could switch out the word song for Wong? Uh, the only one I can think of right now is Brian's Wong, but that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, <laughs> a never-ending Wong? No. Uh, uh, this is the Wong that never ends? <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> shit. This is your Wong? Everybody Wong Chung? <laughs>